My lady, I'm here to welcome you to what is yours. Your Majesty is very gracious, and I am very happy. My daughters. Princess Mary. Madam. The Princess Elizabeth. For you. I think they are pretty. Thank you, Princess. I think you are pretty too. I shall love them both. Tears aren't a woman's only weapon. The best one's between your legs. Learn how to use it. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Kevin Ross and your Three Cocktail Questions Latest Theory. This is a channel where I and others will speculate, discuss wild and crazy theories about all things pop culture. If this is your first time here at Three Cocktail Questions, welcome. Uh, normally, I try to put these up uh, over the weekends, Saturdays, and Sundays, but I'm going to be doing a little traveling. Uh, some exciting news with the uh, channel has just recently broke. I can't go into it with you right just yet, uh, basically because I signed a piece of paper saying that I wouldn't. But it's going to be really exciting. It might just move us up to the next level. Really, really happy for it. Uh, uh, this uh, and also this is also at the part of most shows where someone's going to get you to uh, get you to do some kind of call to action. Until we get those things up and running, based on that piece of paper and other things that I've recently done, I'm going to use this time to suggest uh, some other things for you to do or to listen to. And today, I would like you, of course, after listening and sharing my channel here, to the Nerd Goat Podcast. I'd like you to go catch Ron and Ed talk about uh, talk to their guests about their greatest of all time characters in a uh, really thought out and uh, really well informed way. Uh, these guys have a, a perspective of pulling things out of their guests, and really, uh, you begin to take a look at uh, the different ways that people are inspired by certain things in pop culture. Really, give those guys a lot of credit for what the show that they're putting on. They're doing a lot of great uh, great work out there.
Okay. Now, I want to once again go go ahead and take another deep dive into Bran as a three-eyed raven, uh, bringing about the circumstances of Jon Snow's birth. Now, just to recap, I believe Bran's been warging back through time and attempting to find and then bring about those solutions to the Night King problem. Now, you've heard me describe things like Plan B is our only hope, and recently with Bran Stark helps Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark fall in love. I'd like to discuss now what I believe to be another one of those events, the attempted betrothal of Cersei Lannister to Rhaegar Targaryen. Now, sometime before the we get into the actual show of Game of Thrones and the opening pilot, a delegation from Dorne in the books was on a visit to see the birth of Tyrion Lannister. And although Tyrion's mother passed away giving birth to him, the princes of Dorne proposed a betrothal between Cersei and Oberon Martell um, during this visit. But she was refused because Tywin Lannister informed her that Cersei was meant to be the bride for Rhaegar Targaryen. Now, why is this so important to uh, Tywin Lannister? Until we um, uh, until we pick up where the show is on uh, Game of, uh, in Game of Thrones, the Targaryens have been the ruling family on the Iron Throne for three hundred years. Uh, Tyrion uh, Tywin Lannister is looking basically to breed his way into ultimate power and the Iron Throne. Now, Tywin Lannister first informed Cersei of his wish to betroth his uh, betroth her to the Crown Prince Rhaegar. Uh, when she was no older than six or seven, although he told her he never to speak of it uh, of of this as a betrothal until it was officially announced. Now, this is an unusual move in a, in a lot of ways. Now, fathers back then in, in in literature and even in real life back then when we treated women like chattel, uh, they never tended to inform their daughters of their intentions, merely to inform them of their duties, especially with royal families, of what they now needed to perform. Uh, but Cersei was thrilled about what her father had planned. See, Cersei would daydream about Rhaegar. She would even draw pictures of her and Rhaegar on a dragon, and even had to lie about it when she, of course, was discovered by Jamie Lannister, her twin brother, when he discovered it. Okay? Then at age 10, Cersei became completely infatuated with Rhaegar after meeting him at, for the very first time during a tournament in honor of uh, Viserys' birth at Lannansport. See, the, the Lannisters kind of went to go see the birth of somebody else. It tends to happen a lot. It's not like a crazy baby shower kind of thing in Game of Thrones. But before the tourney began, Cersei's aunt, Lady Jenna, informed Cersei that the betrothal to Rhaegar would be announced during the final feast of the tourney, but some, for some reason, nobody really seemed to get around to that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. At the age of 12, uh, following the failure of Laura Stephens Baratheon's mission to find a suitable bride for Prince Rhaegar Targaryen uh, in Essos, Tywin Lannister, now who is still serving his hand to the king, uh, to the king, Tar- uh, king Aerys Targaryen II, was always keeping an eye out for an opportunity. So then he had Cersei taken to King's from from uh, uh, to King's Landing, from, uh, King's Landing to Castle Rock to stay there with him. Okay, and I find that really interesting, and let's discuss why. I believe this was so that uh, Cersei and Rhaegar would get to know each other better uh, for a more stable marriage. See, royal weddings and royal couplings are – you're going to be married to someone from some other uh, allegiance, some other family. This happens even – this happened a lot in our real world way back in the day when feudalism was was uh, was alive and kicking. Um, people were simply assigned a husband or a wife. Uh, your role was in place for you by your family. Okay, I personally believe that Tywin was lucky enough to find his his wife and fall in love with her. One of the few people that actually brought joy to his life. 
Uh, I've always been given the impression, especially throughout the books, and with just a, it's a little too wordy to get into something like this, but that they had actually met a few times uh, beforehand. And I think this is what Tywin was doing for Cersei uh, to create a more stable situation for her. Okay. Uh, and I've also always wondered why in the real world, why royal the royal families, you know, let's talk to the big three, right? Spain, France, and, L- and London never, or England rather, never really uh, put together something what I would call like a like a breeding embassy where these kids could at least play together and go to school together. Now, of course, you they have to be constantly model model uh, monitored for foul play and other you know activities that young people could get involved in. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But the shock of an overnight marriage may have been the thing and uh, that could have prevented a lot of the really big wars that took place. A lot of understanding between these kids could have happened. And a generation of, of trading ideas and experimentation in a setting like what I call a, bre- you know, a breeding embassy could have fostered a lot more peace, um, uh, something that Carl- Cardinal Wolsey tried to do in, in, in the real world uh, way back in the day. Cardinal Wolsey was an advisor to King Henry VIII. And he proposed this great master plan, essentially having the church oversee morality for all of the king, all of its known kingdoms in Christianity. But he didn't really have a mechanism by which to to pull that off. I think if Wolsey had actually thought about a breeding embassy like this, he could have put all the kids in one spot, taught them Christianity, uh, Roman Catholicism to be specifically, and solved a lot of those problems that would come up later and we'll talk about those soon but it would have i personally believe it would have solved a lot of the big wars and bringing it back to game of thrones i think that's what tywin was doing for cersei i think she he was cushioning the blow for her to say do you like this guy i'm glad uh this is the guy you're gonna marry okay well i'm gonna work it out for you um, now, Rhaegar had been described as having deep purple or uh, up to indigo colored eyes. He had long, elegant fingers, and he was tall than his, uh, taller than his younger brother, Viserys, who would have been, an, uh, would have been an, as, a, as an adult at that time. Rhaegar's hair was similar to the silver blonde hair of Viserys or even his sister's Daenerys. So you can imagine that kind of hair on a, a essentially on a, on a, a five eleven or six foot tall swimmer's body. Okay, that's Rhaegar with deep purple eyes. Okay, now Rhaegar owned black knight plate armor with a th- with the three headed dragon of House Targaryen decorated in rubies on his breastplate, and underneath the uh, his his uh, breastplate he wore golden ringmail. Okay, this is a striking figure. Rhaegar decorated his helm with gold, orange, and red silken streamers resembling flames. Okay, wow. Rhaegar is out there, okay? He's, he's, he's got some style and he's got some flash. And if you were to write a young adult novel today about a handsome prince uh, who's got, you know, uh, sort of that uh, punk aesthetic kind of thing, that edgelord kind of philosophy, this is exactly the archetype uh, you would use. And it's been made real to Cersei. See, it's not a dream. It's not a what, it's not a what if, okay? I truly believe this is the happiest that Cersei has ever been in her life. Okay, and I also believe it's one of the few times that Tywin actually allows himself to feel pride. You see Tywin in the show feel pride uh, when he's melting down ice into the two swords. These moments are private with men like Tywin. Uh, They never really share them with anyone. 
but I honestly believe that he's doing the very best he possibly can for his little girl. Uh, and he feels really good about what's going on. He's pleased that he likes the choice. He's pleased these two are getting along. He, he feels like, okay, that his work and his overall plan is, is, is not only good for the family, but it's good for his daughter. He's very happy with himself. Okay. It's sort of like the frosting on the cake. Right. Like she's she's going to do her duty. She knows she would do her duty. She's she's a Lannister after all. But she likes him and he likes her. And this is great. OK. Now, also, let's also keep in mind there's no Skype or FaceTime. Right. No, no photography whatsoever. Uh, descriptions of, the, of possible royal partners are left to the trusted advisors or friends to ultimately get it right. And in the real world, we see this go radically wrong with the story of the fourth wife of King Henry VIII, which is Anne of Cleves. Okay, Anne of Cleves was Queen of England from the 6th of January to approximately uh, the 9th of July in 1540 as the fourth wife of King Henry VIII. The marriage was declared unconsummated, and as a result, she was not crowned a a queen consort. There are many reasons why this happened, but King Henry might have been genuinely unattracted, uh, unattracted to her. But most likely, and the route that the Tudors Showtime show demonstrated, was a long-standing leg injury from the last tournament King Henry participated in. Now, if you want to check out those episodes, of course, after you check out, after you like and like and share my channel, and you check out the boys over at uh, Nerd Goat, uh, go check out the uh, Tudor show on Showtime, episodes 306 to 308 for a modern retelling of the of the Anne of Cleves story. Okay? But both Anne of Cleves and Cersei of House Lannister have similar stories, at least at first. See, at age 11, 1527, Anne was betrothed to Francis, son of her, uh, son of the heir of the Duke of Lauren, while well, he was only 10. Thus, the and they never met each other. Thus, the betrothal was considered unofficial and was canceled in 1535. Her brother William was a Lutheran, but the family was uh, unassigned religiously with her mother, the the Duchess Mara, as a, and and she was described as a strict Catholic. See, this is, goes brings me back to that whole breeding house situation, where uh, breeding embassy, where okay, the kids might have been raised a little differently, but they could have at least gotten the refora- the the harder parts of the reformation that uh, reformation that ultimately happened in England had we just put the kids collectively together under you know under guards from ev- everybody everybody representing Spain has its section um, uh, uh, England has its section France has its section right uh, but you know the kids can meet in the the general courtyard and do do their things and, and share ideas and and uh, the reformation that happened around this particular period of time would have been a lot less bloody had something like this not taken place. Okay. The Duke's ongoing dispute over Ginderland, a town of the, uh, the town of uh, Glenderm uh, in, it's now in present day Germany. It's the former, it's a former duchy also compromised parts of the, of the present Dutch province of Limburg, as well as those territories in present day Germany states of the Northern Rhine. So essentially look at, um, uh, north and north, east and west. Okay, that's what we're arguing over. Okay, when when we're talking about part of the political problems that Anne of Cleves is was trying to resolve are ultimately exacerbated. Okay, um, this made uh, an alliance with Emperor Charles V more suitable instead of King Henry VIII in the week in the wake of the truce of Nice. Okay, and in this match. This match uh, with Anne was urged 
by one of the, the king's uh, chief ministers, Thomas Cromwell. Okay, so Cromwell in this case in Game of Thrones would be the equivalent of either Littlefinger or Varys. I tend to think of him more like Littlefinger than Varys. Okay, so Littlefinger in this case would have would have said to um, uh, Tywin, "Hey, let's try a different way to go about to go about making, making this happen." And Tywin may have may have had this this conversation with Littlefinger about how it might be best to to bring Rhaegar over. But that's never really made clear in the books. It's just, that's just hyper-speculation, and we, we're calling it hyper-speculation. But you can see what actually happens. Why Tywin would want his daughter to at least meet and get to know Rhaegar, right? Because it would, in poor Anne's case, she's betrothed at 11. Maybe it works out. Maybe she do, it doesn't. Uh, then it's dissolved because the political winds shift. Okay, and now she's shipped off to uh, to uh, meet King Henry VIII. But Henry's never seen her before, and Henry's gone through a couple of wives by this point. Remember, this is the fourth wife now. Their, their heads are flying. Okay, he sends, uh, and there's a lot of political drama around uh, around getting a Lutheran, according to Thomas Cromwell, in for the Reformation. Okay, so uh, the king, King Henry, actually has uh, Lord. Uh, one of his top artists, artisans, to go paint her picture, and Cromwell stresses to him, "You got to make no matter what she looks like, you got to make her look good because the king's got to like her." Okay, and when they initially meet, the king, according to some, says he was taken back by her appearance that um, uh, that the uh, the artisan who's never let him down in the past has ultimately let him down by not properly representing who and what she was what she looked like i i have a personal opinion that uh that that's an excuse that i do believe that the show uh uh the tutor show on on showtime gets it right henry had a long uh abscessing leg wound and i honestly believe it was uh stripping him of his of his sexuality and his, his desire for sex uh during this time and so he needed any excuse in the world to uh project why this is not a good idea for him to go through with this. Okay. Uh, ultimately ended up uh, uh, blowing up in Cromwell's face into Cromwell with Cromwell's enemies. Uh, this would have, but this would have happened to any woman that these, his advisors put in front of him. Cromwell just happened to catch the hot potato. Okay. Now, uh, uh, I don't think, um, why, um, for the very first time, I believe Cersei, has now felt like every possible dream he's ever read about or talked about could ever, could possibly come true. Okay. Like she is literally living a fairy tale life. Okay. Her father, Tywin Lannister is hand to the King, which is like the, you know, like the, the equivalent of the vice president and the prime minister and the treasurer all wrapped up into one. Okay. And he, and Tywin is serving relatively faithfully in his position for almost 20 years. Okay. Sure. Tywin is doing what, you know, families, big, powerful families do, especially back in those days, which, you know, take advantage where he can, a little grift here and there, right? But for the most part, he's doing an extraordinary job making sure the trains run on time and the crops get harvested and, and, and all the bills get paid, okay? But but for some reason, um, Ares II, the uh, Targaryen, the, as they now describe him as the Mad King, begins getting driven by envy and distrust of Tywin, okay? 
And suddenly, out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere, um, uh, Ares II uh, decides that what he promised uh, Tywin is not going to happen. Uh, he's uh, going to marry Prince Rhaegar off to somebody else, okay? And uh, he makes Jamie a member of the Kingsguard, okay? Um, it's, it's, it's shocking, okay? And I ultimately believe this is the point that Tywin Lannister decides he's going to betray Ares at some point uh, and begin um, observing how he can assist the North and ultimately discovers what Littlefinger has been doing with the, um, with the, the debts in the North. We're going to get into all of that in, a, in another episode too, because it's, it's, it will take us far, far too off track. But the moment that, that Tywin sees his little girl's heart get broken is the time that Tywin decides it's time to remove this SLB off the throne. Okay. Uh, we would eventually, as, as Lannister's gotten there any, anyway, because Cersei was going to breed us into the, into the position. But now I, Tywin Lannister, are going to make damn sure my little girl doesn't get hurt. I'm going to make sure that Cersei is, is going to marry this guy. I'm going to make sure we get rid of uh, Ares II. Okay, and begins formulating the plan to betray, ultimately betray the king and work with the rebellion in the north. Okay, um, now why in the world would Bran want to do all of this? Okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense until it does make a lot of sense. Okay, uh, we get into the uh, we don't want the North so united in lockstep with the Lannisters because at this point in time there is no way for Rhaegar and Lyanna to get together according to Bran's visions. Okay, this marriage cannot happen, right? Because what really what Bran needs is a consummation, not necessarily a marriage for them to fall in love. According to Bran, he just simply needs to consummate collectively together one time. Okay, and Bram would have picked that time. But if this marriage had gone down, based on everything that, that Bram would have been able to, you know, what we call, you know, you know, warging out or, or you know, using, you know, Google Warg, okay, you know, Google Weirwood Tree, right? He sees that there's no possibility of this happening, so he's got to break this marriage up. So how do you start to do that? Okay, uh, well, it doesn't help very much that all of a sudden every single Northern Lord that comes down to treat with. Uh, Ares the second gets burnt alive. Okay. And there are several scenarios of that in the books, but ultimately we, we tend to see towards the end that this, this King tend to burn his people, uh, tend to burn his enemies with wildfire. Okay. Um, uh, and um, then the irony is if that is actually the case, if Bran is actually doing that and forcing the mad King to go mad. Okay. And to break up these relationships, Bran is actually burning his ancestors. Okay, to make this happen, to make this all go down. Of course, he's not having them burnt until last they've given birth and, and continue the chain of Starks. But Bran is actually burning his own family to make this prophecy work. Okay, now why? Okay, well, you're going to now force the North to rebel, and now you're going to disrupt Littlefinger's debt buying plans with Lannister gold. Okay, we're going to get into all of that shortly. Okay, in, in a week or two, when I get all of those ducks all completely lined up in a row for everyone. Okay, but having the North united under House Lannister doesn't allow these two, like I've stated before, Rhaegar and, and Lyanna, to get together. Okay, I also believe that um, 
Ares Targaryen is also informed of this debt buying strategy by Lord Varys of all people. Okay, um, and so Lord Varys is whispering to the king. The king is verifying that it's Lannister money. Now it now he doesn't know. Ares the second doesn't know that it's not Tywin giving Littlefinger these orders. He doesn't realize that that Littlefinger is embezzling and doing this on his own. He assumes that La- that because he's run his kingdom like a Swiss watch, that Tywin Lannister has to be giving the orders to Littlefinger to go make this happen. So you you start those suspicions off, and then you have Bran going into his dreams late at night, okay, and fueling this fire, this rage, this suspicion, this jealousy, this envy, and this is going to drive him worse and worse and worse over the edge, okay? So ultimately, when you get to the Battle of Blackwater, okay, and you see Sansa and, and uh, Sansa sitting around drinking wine, and how bitter Cersei is, how angry Cersei is because she's angry and bitter because she remembers a time when she was genuinely in love, when she actually felt something for someone, when she really was a child of spring and could actually feel what actual pure love is because Cersei can see genuine love for Joffrey in Sansa. And Cersei can genuinely see that Sansa would be perfect for Joffrey, because she was going to be perfect for Rhaegar. And it's after Blackwater, it's after that battle, is where I believe Cersei doesn't see herself as a victim anymore. Right? We've always tried to pin down when people tend to, you know, take the dark side. I believe it's that conversation with, with, with Sansa. That Sansa was a literal reflection of Cersei to her. And she says, I... I'm not going to, was, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so naive? That's not how the real world works. That's, I mean, my husband, Robert was out, you know, screwing everything under the sun all day long. The the dreams don't come true. What are you talking about? Little girl. Oh, my little dove, please drink some wine. I, I really believe that had Joffrey not been such an evil person to Sansa, and and just let things go, just you know, with Sansa, not pick on her so badly. That's of course Joffrey needing more male attention and and uh, getting a firm thing under control. The only thing that her his his grandfather could do, but her grandfather his grandfather's out fighting a fight, uh, fighting a war on his behalf, and really couldn't sit back and parent him. Both parents, Jamie and Cer- and uh, Cersei, were not fit parents to raise this child. They didn't know how. They didn't have the education, the training to raise children. They hadn't gotten that far yet. Okay, so when she sees Sansa, she sees herself and is angered by the opportunity that she never got. Okay, and now Cersei, first of Queen Cersei, first of her name of House Lannister, now actually feels for the first time that she has value in her own life other than just being someone who could be married off because she's seeing the results of what happened with Sansa. She's seen, she's reflecting on what's happened in her life and she's in her mind vowing that will never, ever, ever happen again. I want to thank everybody for allowing me to share this with you. Uh, We're going to get back on our normal schedule very soon. Once again, please go out and check out uh, the nerd goat podcast with those guys. Uh, give uh, Ron and Ed uh, a like and a shout out. Follow them on Twitter. 
course, you, uh, I'll be putting out uh, my proper Twitter here in just a little while once we get all these things set up. We're just uh, putting some uh, content out there early to let you folks know what, what this is all about and what, what we're going to be doing here more in the future. Um, we're getting websites and everything you know, set up by you know by top people, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, getting all those things uh, squared away for you. But again, um, please like, share, subscribe. You can even call. You can even call into the anchor uh, through your anchor app and um, and uh, leave me questions and comments if you'd like. Uh, oh, by the way, my friend Ken Knapsack also wrote a book. Okay, why we love Star Wars. Uh, check it out on uh, on Amazon. That's the best place to go get it. Get at least three copies, two physical, one audio. The audio you'll get right away when the book is released. One copy you save for yourself. You put it away. Uh, the other one is your dog-eared copy that you're going to tear through and you're going to make notes on. The clean copy you'll eventually take to a convention and you'll see Ken sitting there and you just go up there and show him that you've already pre-purchased the book. He'll wink at you. He'll appreciate what you've done. All right, everybody, thank you very much. I hope you'll uh, have a, uh, a great start of your week. Be kind to each other. Be loving to each other out there. Remember, this is just this is a friendly discussion about what we do, and this is speculation, right? We have no facts, no advanced facts. We're just going by what we see and what we think we know, okay? Everybody, have yourselves a great day. <laughs>